Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Of all the abundant resources we have in the South, from traditional oil and gas to more recent Hollywood South movie producers, our greatest resource of all is simply water. Uh, thanks largely to the Mississippi River for many years, New Orleans was the economic hub of the South. Today, although the river is still a vital part of our local economy, Flood walls and buildings largely cut us off from it. And so we don't see much of people like Randy Bullard. Randy is the president of River Services Company. The company has offices in Harahan, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and a fleet of 10 ships that provide services on and under the river, like underwater construction, welding, and salvage. Uh, Randy, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. The river, of course, flows into the Gulf, and that's where you'll find international shipholding and their fleet of 54 cargo vessels plying international trade from their current headquarters in Mobile, Alabama, but set to return to their original home here in New Orleans. International Shipholding is a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, and its CFO and vice president is Manny Estrada. Manny, welcome to Out to Lunch. Good, thank you. Now, Manny, International Shipholding was founded in New Orleans in 1947. A, right. a lot has changed since then, not the least of which is Hurricane Katrina, which chased the company to Mobile. You're headed back to the riverfront location in New Orleans by the end of 2015. Reportedly, it took Governor Jindal promising the company $10 million in what's been described as performance-based grants to convince you to move back here. That's about a million dollars for every year you were gone. What's the economic impact of international shipholding that makes you that valuable to the state? Well, I, th I think if you uh, speak to uh, Governor Jindo and his staff, the so-called trickle-down effect of uh, the uh, contribution uh, from uh, the various income taxes to the property taxes to the, just the general retail uh, purchases that we will have, we will have about 100 employees that will be providing um, that sort of revenue uh, to, to this area. Now tell me, when I think of your fleet of vessels, I think of um, your, the vessels you have that move cars in and out. Is that, is right. that just a part of it? Or? That's just part, Peter. We've got seven uh, car carriers. And what are the others carrying? Oh, Peter, we, <laughs> we're so diversified, uh, and that's what makes us different than, than most of the so-called pure play shipping companies. Uh, we've got uh, dry bulk uh, carriers, so what would be an example of something that would, is dry bulk? Uh, uh, grains. Great. Grains, okay. uh, grains on the smaller ship, iron ore uh, on the bigger ships that wow. are carried. The only times I've seen those car carriers are in commercials, and they always show the people driving, the cars driving 
off uh, a flat ramp at the end? Yeah, is that it's, how it's done? It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see and hear. All you hear is screeching tires <laughs> you know, on and off those, those cars. Uh, so it, it, it is. They, no, the people done. aren't, those drivers are not in the cars for the entire trip, right? No, That's what no, I had always no, feared. No, no. Okay. There's <laughs> <all> the, uh, <laughs> now, Randy, when we do get a glimpse of the river from the moonwalk or the fly behind the zoo, we, we see cargo ships, barges, and smaller boats buzzing around. Most of us have no idea what these boats are all doing. I'm sure you can shed some light on that and give me an idea on what an average day consists of for you and your crew. Most of my divers are on standby 24-7, 365. Um, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. They're very dedicated, hardworking. They're the backbone that we thrive on. Um, most of the time they're standing around doing equipment, um, equipment maintenance, pre-dive checklist, making sure we're ready to go because 95% of our work is derived from the inland marine transportation industry. Um, these are barges that develop holes. Um, okay, so you're repairing vessels, I guess. Correct. And then uh, you mentioned salvage. I mean, salvage. are you diving to the bottom of the wood? We are. Um, I, I, everybody asks me all the time. That stuff happens all the time. It happens that much that you derive a full-time job. And I explain to them, imagine I-10 with all that traffic and no brakes. And that's <laughs> kind of describes the river now. traffic. Yeah. Um, it's not that reckless, but... You can imagine if you've got the river carrying a vessel sure. downbound and you really your braking power is the thrust going backwards. And if you've got you know, 1,200 tons, easy, moving down river, it doesn't stop immediately. What's the wildest or biggest thing you've ever pulled from the river? Uh, Jimmy Hoffa or is that <laughs> the, uh, just, just a guess really. It was well, that's probably the worst part of our job is when these sinkings occur and there's a fatality involved. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, we, we tend to... There's not much help. It's always recovery after the fact. Yeah. That's probably the most difficult part. And tell me, like, uh, for somebody that doesn't get to see the river all that, how deep is it? Well, it depends on the area. Uh, I would say that down here where everybody, the wharfs on the riverfront down here, Irish Channel, where everybody's familiar with, uh, we salvaged the vessel there from 124 feet. Uh, and that's actually about par for a lot of the areas, but there are some areas, uh, Vicksburg comes to mind, where you've actually got seven barges that are stacked vertically, and they're so deep that nobody's bothered to go salvage them. It's beyond 200. Wow. Manny, you're, uh, you're Cuban? Yes. Yes, they Born uh, in Cuba? Born yes. in Cuba, real deal. When did you come over? Came over in 1960. We're starting to open relations with right. Cuba. What does it mean for the Port of New Orleans? What does it mean for international shipbuilding? Uh, you know, professionally, Peter, I think it's, it's going to open up opportunities for both the Port of New Orleans and certainly for us. Uh, we have a rail ferry service that moves rail cars from Mobile to Coatzacoalcos, Mexico. And in, in order to really add value to the railroad side of things, the rail gauge has to be similar to what's done here in the United States. The, the, the same width gauge. of the... Um, Correct. Okay. Cuba, Cuba has that same rail gauge. So that, that's an area for us that wow. if it opens up the way it looks like it's going to open up, it may provide an additional market uh, place for us. Now, uh, pre-1960, wasn't New Orleans a, a, had a big connection with Cuba? It, it did. I think the, the, the whole Gulf Coast region did. Uh, Mobile was a sister city to Havana uh, going back that far. So uh, the, the relation, it's not very far. Yep. Um, to, to go back and forth, certainly on cruise ships. 
so yes, the relationship between Cuba and the Gulf Coast was just tremendous way back when. And, and we, hope, we hope it gets there again. Really, how do you find guys that want to do this? I mean, this is a tough job, right? It is. You have to be cut from a certain cloth, I'd say. Now, you were ex-military, so I, maybe that would be a good place to look, I guess. Uh, it actually is. Uh, a lot of the guys, that the military guys, come over. Um, we just actually hired a new diver in yesterday, started first day, former Marine, three tours. You know, so it does, You that's the same cloth that we're talking about. The guys that kind of drive hard and want to go out and tackle the world and beat it into mercy. You know, that's kind of what we're looking for. The guys that won't say no, that don't have quit in them. Now you started, I must have, before you had your company, you must have started as a diver, right? Is that uh, yeah, thanks to Pop. He was uh, in the Navy and, <laughs> you know, growing up, whatever dad does, you got to do, right? So three into the water and... That's it, five years old, uh, Cooper <laughs> River, and, which is similar to the Mississippi uh, in South Carolina. Whoa. Black water, very fast water. Uh, of course, he, he took me in a little side gully that was very slack. You oh, know, that's but, good. But yeah, that's where I got my start. My love for water was, was diving with him and then progressed up to the East Coast. Uh, I've been in, the, around, in and on the water my whole life. What happens to a guy like yourself who um, you know, probably loved the idea of diving, but now you run a company? Do you... Um, do you like that part as much, or do you wish someday you were just under the water again? Or <laughs> every day, every, every day, day. <laughs> uh, every phone, every time the phone rings or the email goes off, it's <laughs> wish I was in the water right now. But no, it's fun because uh, it's a passion. It's what you love to do, and so sharing that with the younger guys that are coming up, keeping them from doing the things that I did and shouldn't have done. That's a lot of the a lot of drive for the day to day stuff. And when I talk to the people that dive offshore for the uh, the oil companies, they um, is it saturation diving you're doing? Is that no form? saturation is a form of diving. Um, that's where your work is at such a depth that it's counterproductive to have the diver constantly in decompression. So the diver lives at pressure is the term where basically you have a diver that signs away his life. He spends a week in the water and three weeks in a can. A can on the a decompression chamber or a pressurized chamber on board, and so they have a four-man team, two on, two off, and you bell into a bell. They take you to depth. And if you're wor doing work at say 630 feet, you really don't want to do decompression runs after every dive. So they blow you down to 630 feet, and you live there for 30 days. Whether you're on surface or underwater, oh. you're pressurized to the pressure at 630 feet below seawater. See, if you're not in the water, you're still in this, like, tube, I guess, huh? And what do you do there? Uh, I would go crazy, but Girly magazines, what do you do? I really like <laughs> coffees. I don't know what to... They've, done, they've come a long way. Now the guys actually have a little bit of internet access, I'm, I'm hearing. I've never personally been involved in saturation, but I've got some divers that did it, and it takes a special breed. I don't know how to define them. <laughs> uh, most of them are very active when they come out. Yes, I imagine. <laughs> 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 Triathletes and such. Man, yeah. we don't have, um, one of the reasons I'm so excited that you guys are moving back is there's a real shortage of public companies here in right. Louisiana. This is a, this is a big, uh, big addition. What, what do you deal with as a public company that Randy doesn't deal with as a private company? The SEC, for one. Okay. <laughs> not the Southeastern <laughs> Conference, I take. That's not the... No. Okay. I'm talking to Wall Street all the time. The, and the that's you, isn't base. That is me. Yep. That is me. Um, most of the time either trying to raise money uh, through a public offering or explaining and, and speaking and having a dialogue with their shareholders as to they, they certainly want to know what we're doing, why we're doing it, how come we're not doing better. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. 
So the, the constant dialogue with, with the shareholders is, is one of the things. Now, in your, what's, the, what's the question you get the most from investors? Where, where do you see growth? We're, we're, we're such a tough company to really try and put into a box. Because you mentioned you don't look like a pure... We're not a pure play. We, we are a so-called diversified shipping company. It's almost like a shipping hedge. We, we have all sorts of, of different ships. So you get the shareholders that tries to pitch into you and say, well, where, where do you find that growth? And really the pat answer is what makes us different, different is that we can say wherever the opportunity comes across the industry. Right. And, and so which they take as kind of vague, I probably. Which they take as vague, <laughs> especially if you're trying to get an analyst to follow you. He doesn't want to think outside the box. He right. wants to put you inside that box, hit a button, voila, that's your valuation, <laughs> right? So uh, it's, it's a little bit tough, but that's, that's the question. Where do you see the growth? And you, um, your company actually, uh, is your stock actually still like below its book value or right around We're, tra it? we're trading at about 50% the book. Now, how can that be? I mean, uh, you know, you teach a course in securities analysis. Uh, the boats are worth, the vessels, I know you guys get really worked up when you say boats, but uh, the vessels are worth more than the company selling it? Yeah, so, so Peter, there's two, right? From, from a book value perspective, they're looking at it and saying, yeah, you may have that as a book value, but really in today's economic uh, depressed steel prices, if you were to go out and try to find a buyer, you're probably not going to achieve what's booked. Uh, now, we, from a recording and, and a reporting, have to always justify that value. And one way to do that is we, we just project out employment in those ships. And as long as the cash flow is there to, to support the book value, we're good to go. But when you take a step back and really from a business perspective, are you going to be able to achieve 100 cents on a dollar for that asset in, in a sale? So um, right. we certainly shouldn't be trading at 50% discount, right. in my opinion. Uh, but but that's that's really what they're doing. So they're discounting your value based on today's market. Now the other thing that makes you different between a private company like Randy's and yours is, uh, uh, like Randy, you are pretty. You've got obligations. I mean the banks and all that kind of stuff. But you can think more long term, right? I mean right. you're you're on your own. Uh, you kind of you have a, a a vision and you can go out and get it, right? Um. By and large, yeah. I mean we don't answer to a board. We don't have stockholders that we're looking to you know, maximize their investment. So we, we have a little bit more carte blanche in pursuing our dreams and our goals. Um, but again, we're still limited by the economy and the market and that we're trying to do business in. Sometimes uh, people are always trying to figure out what the factors are for a business. Uh, as an example, Hurricane Katrina, bad for you or good for you? Fantastic for us. Um, terrible to say yeah, all out loud, but um, whenever, Call it ambulance chaser, whatever you want to, what <laughs> negative derogatory term you want to use, but that's the name of our business. We try to kind of, we feel more like the Good Samaritan. Um, we're specialists, we're problem solvers, so things like that put us in our prime, and that's where we really get to showcase our talents. And Manny, right now we have a kind of a strange situation where the U.S. economy is doing well and and actually seem to get a little stronger, and yet we're worried about growth right, in Europe right. and Asia and all. Where would that leave you? Uh, Parts of our business are doing real good. Certainly the Jones Act, which is limited to the United States, is doing well. Uh, those that are really reliant on more of the international side is not doing so well. And, and, and that's what, what, again, sets us aside. We, we've got a business model that allows us to endure the cyclicality of the shipping industry. Randy, 
What is the danger factor? How dangerous is diving in the river? Describe to us what it's like to be under the river. This isn't uh, crystal clear water. No, it's actually completely opaque. There is no visibility whatsoever. Um, you can't, even with the brightest light that we've been able to put down there, we can't see your hand in front of your face. Uh, you can see the shadow of your hand, but uh, you won't see your hand. Um, dangering, uh, diving is dangerous inherently uh, to begin with. Add in black water, no visibility. Add in extremely strong current. Um, I tend to be a little bit biased and feel like the inland black water diving is some of the most dangerous diving you can do. Um, now granted, we can get to the surface a little bit faster than the offshore guys that are down deeper, but when you've got an opposing force, you're trying to just work and you've got a pressure that's pushing you and you're holding onto a line, that's pretty much all you can do. It, it gets um, exciting. Wow, there's uh, so I, I would imagine that safety is your number one uh, absolutely in here. They, uh, absolutely, that's my biggest thing. Um, we're a small company, um, so I imagine these people. I mean, your divers are you know family to you. I would. They are. Yeah. When, when, in, in this type of work, we live together, we sleep together, eat together. We're brothers, and so when you, you you hear about the guy that's in Memphis going on a job, and you hear what the job entails, you're. You're going through your motions, you're doing your job, but your mind, in the back, you're worried about your buddy, your guy, your brother that's out there doing something that you wish you were there standing side by side with him doing. Manny, Randy, I want to take a minute to introduce you to Ron Gard. Uh, we met Ron through 52 businesses who specialize in uncovering entrepreneurs in the very, very early stages of development. Ron's entrepreneurial idea is called Wave Pool. I'm going to give Ron one minute to tell you about it, and then I'm going to give each of you a chance to ask Ron one question, a, a question that you think he'll need to be able to answer to move his business forward. Uh, Ron, give us your one minute pitch. Thank you, Peter. Um, Wavepool is a, a new venture that we're just starting out. It is uh, an online social connectivity uh, tool that allows university students uh, to connect with and do work for professionals in their field while they're still in their programs. Um, and it connects together the student with the professional, with the university playing a role in it. So it has the additional benefit of building, uh, particularly within that professional community, uh, alumni from that university. So you're doing some alumni network building, so there's real incentive, particularly from that portion of the demographic, to be connecting back to the programs they came out of, to be offering work back to those students, and to allow those students, while they're still in their programs, to be developing them professionally and by way of the platform be developing a profile that they're shaping themselves, giving themselves a, a kind of forward-facing image so that when they are done with their programs and entering the workplace, they already have a track record, they have a professional uh, profile that lines all of this up and presents them in a particular way that serves all three of those parties, the student, the university, and the particular field that they're training to go into. Randy, Manny, I'm going to give you one question each. I, I, I'm just curious where, where the revenue stream comes sure. from. Is that a fee-based or, or is that something you... Well, the idea is to keep it not fee-based for students, to mm -hmm. allow the students to be able to access it without 
themselves having to pay into it, so you're not adding to student burden. Um, it is partially revenue driven by those individuals who are offering the job, so uh, for sort of nominal costs they can be paying students to do things. The other is there are resources in some of the programs and some of the departments to do things like alumni building and to do professional development. Mm -hmm. It's just there are limits really to what they can do with that and if there were a very cost effective way that they could put what for their budgets would be a fairly small amount but get kind of big return on that, mm -hmm. it's likely that you could draw small portions from different aspects, so alumni building, sure, uh, sure. Uh, professional development. If you were to encounter you know, some negative press that's saying that this is going to promote a new boys club mentality, you're excluding other people that might have an opportunity to go into this field, what would your response be to that? A lot of the concept was driven out of individuals who felt like, even within the programs they were in, because of limited resources, it was the very top of their program that were seeing the benefits. They already, even within their programs, felt a bit disenfranchised. So a lot of the motivation behind it is to not work so much toward the elite, those who already have the opportunity, but to build it horizontally across universities. Ron, thank you so much for coming by today. We look forward to following your progress with WavePool. Thank you. Great. Uh, we're going to stick around a little longer after the show and talk some more about WavePool. You'll be able to hear the rest of that conversation with Ron Gard on our website at itsneworleans.com. Manny Estrada, Randy Bullard, no matter what new businesses come along or what new technology is developed, river and ocean-going transportation is as vital as ever. It's been great to get some insight into what goes on in and under the Mississippi and the Gulf. Thank you so much for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I learned a lot today. My guests on Out to Lunch have been Randy Bullard, president of River Services Company, and Manny Estrada, the vice president and CFO of International Shipholding Corporation. You can find out more about Manny's maritime and Randy's river businesses by following the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The waterproof Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's New Orleans and WWNO.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Baton Rouge-based Presonus Audio Electronics. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments.